Hello, I'm Grace Cheng. Hi, and I'm Lena So Eng. Welcome to the Curious Podcast featuring outstanding women in tech and science in Asia. We unpack their journeys and take a look at what lies ahead in their industry. Our guest today is Winthia Go, Senior Partner at NCS Next. She was a Fulbright Scholar and completed her Master's in Public Policy in the State University of New York with a major in Systems Thinking. Her experience has been in tech companies like eBay, SAP and NTUC Enterprise more recently. And today she leads the digital business for NCS, one of the leading systems integrators in Singapore. Delighted to have you with us today, Vintia. Thank you for having me. Yeah. You know, I first met you um, many years ago when I was working for a research company in Singapore called DataPro. Uh, it doesn't exist anymore today anyway. But um, you had been chasing the same dream since the first day you started working, right? And that is you want to change the world. And that's the reason why you entered the tech industry. So I want to plunge right in and, you know, talk about the industry, the, the technology today. Grabbing the headlines is all about the metaverse. So what is the metaverse and what is it meant to do? Uh, Grace, uh, that's a very interesting way to, to describe what I've been doing. I guess you're right, chasing the dream, you know. I, I know metaverse has been uh, on the minds and lips of many people these days. But uh, when I look at uh, the phrase metaverse, what? I think of is a kind of a more comprehensive virtual world. Mm. It may be a network or a, a, an interconnected number of virtual worlds. Right? We've always had virtual world in one form or another. And I would say that uh, perhaps in the past, it didn't, it hasn't realized the promise that some of the previous uh, rounds of uh, virtual worlds uh, we were expecting. But, but now, when we think about Metaverse, we're really thinking about a more immersive experience where you can uh, access a range of services fairly uninterrupted and often enabled by the technology that's become more mature today. So what is the underlying technologies that allow it to emerge? I think there's a few layers. The first one is actually connectivity. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a lot more powerful devices in the hands of every individual. And at the uh, bandwidth, the latency layer, we are able to push through uh, both ways a lot more data than uh, what was possible, say, 10 years ago. So that's kind of a, a kind of an enabler. It wasn't, it, uh, it was just a progression of maturity of technology that now enable us to deliver a much better type of experience, more immersive experience than what was possible before, right? Then the, the second part has been, um, I guess imagination, right? Hmm. What do the content creators, what do the technologists imagine is possible now that the technology is starting to be in place and uh, more and more people are able to access this technology and through this technology be able to experience uh, new services. You know, Grace, when I think of the metaverse, I think of it in positives and negatives. So positives may be the fun, you know, like, uh, you know, uh, Retail experiences, for instance, seeing how I look like certain makeup. And negatives may be like I can do I can do exercises online, but I don't need to be there. So uh, we're going to be awful and fat. <laughs> so I'm, uh, is this is this a right uh, visualization or how is it wrong with you? 
I think the question is, is it a utopia or is it a dystopia, right? I think it, it might be both and both may coexist uh, for every one of us. The other day I was uh, reading about a beer company that has uh, started to run a campaign in, uh, in the metaverse. But I really, really cannot imagine beer lovers liking the idea of having a virtual beer. Yeah. Can't taste it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then I was, I was thinking, what would be the point of having a virtual beer? You know. So I, I think, uh, uh, I think what it really shows is that there's a lot of experimentation that is going on. A lot of people, company, businesses, they are, they are going to try new things. And some's going to work, some's not going to work. But as a result of all the experimentation, we are going to discover together what are the persistent experiences that is going to deliver enough value for us that is that experience we're going to ask it to stick around. So how long is this going to take before, you know, we see something that we like and that we can focus on? I don't know. I don't have a crystal ball. I think it's always foolhardy to try to predict when a particular technology is going to get mass adoption. But I do see some pockets of um, some pro- pockets of promise and I definitely do see areas where a lot of companies are trying to uh, attempt uh, a lot more and testing out new ideas. One has been in the area of gaming, uh, gaming and entertainment. I, I think when people think of metaverse, they immediately think of those entertainment, entertaining uh, related kind of use cases. I, I can imagine uh, whole communities that are early adopters, front runners, who's going to rush into that. Um, but I also see another area where people are starting to think, uh, am I able to replicate some of the services uh, that I have today uh, in the virtual world and how would that services change? And another area is that can I provide services that I otherwise wouldn't have been able to provide in the physical world? And now, if you look at uh, uh, an area, say public service or uh, uh, digital government, right? If you look at that area, you may instinctively get, go, "What would a government do in the metaverse?" And uh, and even in this area, there there are uh, governments that are trying to go into this brave new world and attempt new things. If you look at Seoul, uh, the Seoul city government has actually came up with a vision uh, of how they imagine the city to be uh, in uh, a decade from now and the role that metaverse can play. And and I, there was one part of it that really caught my eye, and it was about how they wanted to use the metaverse to provide services that would otherwise be constrained by the physical world as a way to provide accessibility and provide inclusion. So the other thing that I've been reading about is Web3. So is there a connection between the two metaverse and Web3? Uh, there's certainly uh, Metaverse and Web 3.0 has been uh, is coming into the mainstream vernacular. I think they need not be related but they are increasingly seen as being related. And there are certainly communities that look at how to integrate both to deliver uh, a different experience and a different value. So an example of uh, where they are not related, right? So for example, a lot of kids today, they play Roblox. Roblox can be considered a kind of a metaverse universe, uh, but they are not necessarily web 3.0 so when we think about web 3.0 we are thinking about decentralization and uh, decentralization with the intent to empower 
And the, the reason I say intent is because uh, not all of those uh, decentralization uh, initiatives have necessarily resulted uh, in the empowerment that uh, many of those practitioners were hoping uh, they they could uh, produce, right? Um, so where Metaverse and Web 3.0 come together uh, that I think people can most often relate to is where the Metaverse requires some Web 3.0 technology in order to fully function. Certain uh, Metaverse platforms, when you log into their platform, they automatically requires you to have a crypto wallet and that's because they have chosen to use crypto wallets as the way to manage payments and transactions in that virtual world. So if you want to buy that virtual land from that particular platform, you need crypto wallet and you need certain tokens that they've decided that that will be their payment system. So decentralized and centralized refer to decentralized network and centralized networks as in a blockchain. Uh, blockchain is definitely a very key technology here blockchain but not necessarily crypto i know there'll be uh people who will disagree with that but i really do see uh, those as potentially two separate things very often associated but again it not necessarily have to be always going together um so there is uh blockchain there's also concepts like smart contracts or governance by code the mm -hmm. idea that decisions rules events can be triggered encoded into software so there's definitely a focus on what can we automate through software uh, compared to how it had done in the past in and this is really to chase efficiency uh, transparency accountability and, and for many people hopefully uh, accessibility and inclusion you're listening to the curious podcast asia featuring top women in stem Tune in every Monday to a new episode featuring outstanding women in technology and science. Subscribe to The Curious Podcast on Apple, Spotify or Google. Uh, when you talk about crypto, Vintia, what fascinates me is that there are so many uh, cryptocurrencies and, you know, ultimately, you know, do you see that governments will have to come up with their versions because, you know, what is the common basis for, for trading it, you know, with each other to use it to buy goods and services? Is that something that, uh, you know, when you look from the government side of things, is something that has to be tackled in the future? There are many governments in the world uh, that are looking at digital money, whether uh, there will be a digital form of the paper money that uh, we use today, the, the cash that we use today. In many ways, we have already been using a lot of digital money, right? So even though on the front end, consumers may have been handling cash at the back end in terms of managing the transfer and the clearing of those money, there's always been a lot of digital. Uh, what has changed is the amount of those cash transactions is in fact facilitated uh, through your mobile phone, through digital wallets, and then whether that will become the de facto way that um, transactions are made. Um, I think the answer is going to be yes. I do see governments eventually coming up with their uh, version of digital money because there's certainly the, the trend is very clear, right? Digitization of the chain of activities, consumer adoption uh, of digital transaction, digital payment, digital wallets, all of the enablers for digital money is going to be there. Um, but what I also think and hope does not happen is that we only have digital money and we don't have 
uh, paper money. Not because I'm necessarily enamored with paper. I don't uh, really have a bias either way. But I think if we move too fast to a pure digital money, then we end up creating new marginalized communities where they don't have access to financial services because they may not have a, a smartphone or because they are not able to understand and adopt the digital technology fast enough. And then that, I think, would then be a bad outcome when originally in terms of digitizing, we were trying to achieve something good. Yeah, it's very interesting to listen to you look at the future. And definitely one of the things that uh, is looked at is the creator economy, where musicians and artists are rendering new products as NFTs, the hot word now. Yes. So how, what are your thoughts on this? So I, I think uh, uh, when you look at headlines on NFT, unfortunately, uh, it tends to be ab uh, about how many millions and millions uh, certain NFT has been transacted at. But I think what is interesting about um, NFT as a, uh, as a technology is what it has enabled some creators to be able to do. It's enabled some creators to be able to reach to their uh, audience more directly uh, without uh, middlemen. So in many ways, that Web 3.0, that decentralization, that cutting out of a central trusted body is also uh, taking place in the creator community. Centralization to me is not necessarily all bad and therefore decentralization is not necessarily all good. Because if you think about art, right, there, there's a role that gallery, for example, galleries and museums mm. play. Right. In terms of promoting uh, works uh, of art, in terms of curation, in terms of, uh, you know, propagating art trends and so on. And I think that's a kind of a central, uh, you know, institution and they play a very important role. But equally important is also NFT and associated technology in being able to allow the artists to have a direct connection uh, with the people who appreciate their art. The yeah. other thing that has been very important, uh, interesting in NFT, but it's still a developing trend is that if we can code uh, various uh, rules and uh, we can trace lineage through code, then what are the ways that this can play out? When the artists uh, have sold their work, they've sold the NFT, and then when those work pass on uh, to other hands, then what are the different ways that art can continue to be... Um, uh, the word that comes to mind is governed, but I think don't, that's not necessarily the right, right word, is the way that art can be uh, tracked through different buyers and pass through different collections. And that was something that in the past, I, I think uh, we don't have that same level of transparency, right? And yeah. that is important, right? Because if you own the IP, you can sort of like resell that IP. Is that what it means? Well, I, I think today already in certain marketplaces, it's possible to continue to have like the equivalent of a royalty fee. Yes. Uh, as a collection passed through different rounds of hands. That's something that wasn't available to artists in the past. Yeah. So there are certainly some new enablers here. And looking at the next um, five minutes, Grace, perhaps, um, you know, we're very impressed that you also bought member of AWARE FinTech Association. Well, you've taken on a lot of uh, leadership roles indeed. Um, and Grace wanted to talk about uh, women in tech, right, Grace? Yes, I think um, you were inducted into the SG 100 Women in Tech in 2021. So congratulations, you know, uh, your work, your body of work speaks uh, for itself. However, you studied business when you were in university, not computer science, but you have advanced, you know, really in, in tech uh, leadership. So for our women listeners who are interested in moving into tech, 
What does one have to do to advance their careers? Maybe let me do a pitch for everyone first. And the, the pitch is that uh, we all need to become more tech-savvy and more digitally literate, uh, whether we choose to be in the tech industry or not. Um, and that's because technology actually plays a very important part in our lives. To know and understand that technology, how it works, is also a, a way to then also understand what enables that the world that we live in. Um, now, the second part is that and it's also what has drawn me to the industry uh, many years ago is that uh, technology can really make a good impact. And I think it's a very human impulse to want to make a difference, to know that the job you do, the, the, uh, the way you spend your time and the way you invest your time uh, creates an outcome that you can see. And if you look at the tech industry, I think there are many aspects of the tech industry that uh, is going to be very easy for people to uh, join in and participate. The first is, uh, well, there are certainly roles that um, require people to be uh, technically trained. There is also a, a culture in tech where a lot of, um, there's a lot of continuous and self-learning. So uh, I remember many years ago when I first graduated uh, in business, all of us were learning coding by ourselves. You know, we, we read the stuff online, we go through the tutorial and we figure things out. And in many ways, that culture of uh, continuous and self-learning exists today. In, in fact, it's even uh, more prevalent today, right? When there's a new language that comes out, uh, developers would rush online and they would learn it, they will, they will check with others There's a community that they can uh, rely on and uh, they learn from each other and they improve each other's work. It's a very core part of uh, being in tech and that is also a very attractive culture for me. The second part is that when we look at how tech delivers an impact, it actually requires many, many, many different types of skill sets. Um, coding for sure, but certainly many other capabilities. Understanding users being uh, human-centric, um, designing the right products, re digital products require a whole set of skills. I was uh, recently participating uh, with a team that is looking at how can we uplift the, how can we uplift the profession of product management? And you may think that product management in tech uh, in the tech industry is surely a very, very technical role. There are some parts that are about technology, but there are many other parts that's about understanding the user, developing the business model, working out the strategy, how to partner with others, how to, how to understand data, understand performance, uh, understand uh, optimization, and then in some total be able to deliver something that makes an impact. So, so really, there are many different roles uh, in the industry. And I would say even for myself, um, over the years of my career, I have had the opportunity to play different roles in the tech industry. And, and every of those roles have helped me become more well-rounded and become uh, position me better to be able to contribute uh, to the industry and to, to, in many ways, be able to play the role that I play today. Yeah, I was sharing with Grace that now even in writing, there's like UX writing and how do you write for the user? <laughs> yes, exactly. And, yeah. and how you want to write uh, for the user if the user is consuming it through a mobile screen uh, versus like a blog or like different channels require different considerations because the user has a different level of attention uh, in each of those screens. Yeah, so this um, being rounded, learning new skills as you go along, is this the way to advance 
the career into senior leadership, into senior management? From my own experience, what I found is that at, at different levels, uh, what uh, is important to learn is that the role you play uh, becomes very, very different, right? So um, at the senior, and I've learned this myself through my own experience, right? So at a more senior level role, I think the focus shift towards um, perhaps providing direction, provide, providing guidance in some occasions is about making decisions in others, is about enabling others to make decisions. And it is no longer necessarily necessarily about uh, you uh, being able to do every single uh, piece of the work yourself. It's about enabling others. If you look at what that means, it, it really means being able to understand uh, what is needed to be done from different perspectives and understand the role and the value you can play in that particular role that you are in at the moment. That's um, really very interesting insights from Winthia today, huh, Grace? Yes, I think that our women listeners would find the tips that she shared very useful. Uh, and uh, we really thank you, Winthia, for spending time on the Curious Podcast with us. This is Lena So Eng and Grace Chung. Listen to us on Spotify, Apple, and Android, and do join us again next week. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Oh,